In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. You have indeed found no proscenium, the voice of everything immersive, and this is our 350th episode. I'm your host, Noah Nelson. Joining us from Los Angeles is... Hey, this is Kevin Gossett, the LA Reviews editor. Uh, in an undisclosed location in New England... That's gotta be me, Leah Davis, your New England coordinator correspondent what are titles uh in chicago uh that's patrick mclean and on special assignment in miami hi there everyone this is blake Weil. Also known as his vacation. Uh, so everybody, <laughs> welcome to the 350th episode. Uh, this is going to be one of our After Dark TeamSpeak style ones. We're going to take a look at sort of the state of immersive as we see it right now. Uh, we're going to start on the general and then drill down into the specifics. Um, I- I'm going to kick it off because uh, of my show uh, and just say things things are a little funky. They're a little weird right now. It's it's July 13th when we're recording this. Uh, the year 2022. Years apparently still matter. Uh, and here we are uh, two years and change into the course of the pandemic. And the this the narrative is turning once again uh caseless numbers are going up hospitalizations are going up deaths are going up it's a it's a funky time to be focusing on live events and yet across the country uh we see more uh more mainstream immersive events happening uh that's in large part uh thanks to the uh, connections of uh, Fever and Netflix with the Stranger Things experiences they have in both New York and San Francisco. They've got the Bridgerton event that they're going around with. You have uh, on the high end, you've got uh, Disney's Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser down in Florida. Uh, and there's activations, of course, popping off. Uh, there was just a, a number of them for uh, the Westworld uh, you know, on HBO, which, by the way, is good again. Uh, I don't know if anyone knows that. Uh, Westworld is good again. Season four is good. And uh, maybe it's because they went and did a good activation. Uh, and they did it in Austin and they did in New York. And, of course, uh, Comic-Con's coming up at the end of the month. And uh, folks are tracking a whole bunch of activations happening. I think there's something happening for Severance. I know there's something happening for Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, the game, as it were, is afoot once more. And that's just on the live side. That doesn't even cover all of the boxes that are happening, all the XR stuff, which we'll drill into a little bit. But it is funky right now um, because even with all the stuff going uh, on the indie side, things feel uh, at least uh, in some spaces. Uh, well, I think it depends on what mark you're in. It might feel a little shaky. I know Denver's going strong. You've got From on High in Denver. Uh, although I also hear the sales on that maybe aren't going as as well as as they'd hope, which is a shame because the show sounds really, really good. But there's a question of like, is the Denver market ready for something? Um, but you also see the Denver uh, you know, Center for the Performing Arts double down and they're taking off center and spinning it off into its own program. And they've got David Burns theater of the mind coming up. So you've got this, this real, 
you know, chance here for, for something uh, in that market. Uh, you know, they have a, they've got the Meow Wolf there. Uh, you have uh, Super Blue in Miami. I think, you know, uh, you, Blake, I think you're going to catch that a little bit later. Uh, they've got Super Blue. It's got a thing happening here in LA as well. And I don't know, like it, on the one hand, things feel like, like they're, they're popping off, but, but maybe not so much on the, on the indie side. How's the temperature out there for, for all of you? What, what are all you seeing in aggregate? So I am not going to lie. The indie scene is starting to bubble up on the East Coast once again, despite the shifting temperature of the pandemic. But we are seeing some kind of peculiar mutations that I'm fairly excited about. Uh, So on the one hand, we are seeing, you know, the mainstreaming of immersive art, as you were mentioning, you know, but that's really happening in two ways. Where, where you were talking about things like um, the Fever Netflix experiences and partnership, we're also seeing things like Lincoln Center starting to dip toes into at least moderately immersed, moderately produced immersive. You know, we're looking at the upcoming production of Quince uh, on La Plaza. And even though, you know, the show itself, I had mixed feelings about, the elements in it that worked are so totally suited to the staging that Lincoln Center is doing, that that is a production I'm actually really excited for. We've also got Future Proof 404 opening up their new facility, which has their first initial three tenants, I believe, announced, both their own show in their luxury universal experience universe, The Art of Killing It, and also they're having the full Doors of Divergence multi-escape room series, but it almost feels like they're aiming to be Brooklyn's answer to Wildrance. May it rest in peace. God, I miss Wildrance. What a great venue that was. But for those of you who don't know Wildrance, it was a multi-immersive venue. It was a space where indie immersive creators could come and have a fairly well-produced space to create their own work within. And it feels like we're starting to get that again. And then down in Miami, I actually just came from our tech house's new installation, uh, Resilience 2121. And oh my God, you know, you just want to talk about sort of visual stimulus overload. Uh, it was, you know, with safe social distancing, I do want to clarify and luckily, mask policies, thank God, for Florida, uh, you know. Oh, wow. You don't expect that. A, a, a but, mask policy in Miami? Is that even legal? I mean, literally, <laughs> is that even legal? <laughs> I'm not sure. It might have just been a strongly encouraged thing, but there was at least a <laughs> please wear a mask sign, and I wore a mask, and no one gave me crap about it, which is, okay. you know, head and shoulders above the rest of the state. Um I can say that I went to school in Miami. No one yell at me. Uh, oh, but, no, we can we can all we can all say it. I mean, it was a, it was now. But so. no, it was it was really nice seeing something that took I want to say the Museum of Ice Cream format. You know, a big, visually stunning, elaborate installation art piece that's perfect for selfies. I've got a pretty fun one that looks like something out of a 70, out of like an Austin Powers intro, honestly, like a groovy tie-dye mirror chamber they had, but applies it to 
at least attempts to apply it to a more serious subject. You know, it does have, if pretty simple con- environmental concerns, it is about something in a way that, say, Color Factory isn't. So you're seeing mainstream, right. like, highly commercial immersive theater also start to dip toes well, into and, thematic depth. Well, which well, is and interesting. Just, and you just said immersive theater, but, like, you know, this is this is installation art, right? You know, this is- It is installation pieces, art. You know, it and is like, installation I should just make a distinction yeah. between the two, yeah. but in, I almost want to say both of them share this heartbeat of environmental storytelling. And oh, absolutely. No, I mean, I, I mean, I just, I just, I mean, that, that's on the technical level, right? It's like, it's not, you know, we, we love ourselves some inspiration. We're, art, we're supposed you know. to be doing the taxonomy. I know we position ourselves yeah. to do that. So I should be good about it. No worries. Yeah. No, but yeah. for installation art, it's nice to see that general, very mass market space. And our tech house is very mass market. They are definitely an attraction for, you know, tourists, families, and, entry-level art people who might have not you, be hanging out in galleries. Have Have you been to a Meow Wolf? I, don't think I have, have not been to a okay. Meow Wolf. I haven't had that's, a chance yet. Yeah, so like that's the thing. It's like, I'm, I'm really curious about, because like we're starting to get this like, um, you know, there's starting to be like a constellation here of, you know, you've got our tech house, you've got super blue. I mean, super blue's got a piece out here in LA that, uh, that they, that they did the production, uh, with, with Glenn Kano that was commissioned by the, the Atlantic, which, you know, Laura and I both love. And it's, it's very much, I mean, it is, it is issue forward, right. You know, like it, that is, it is front loaded on, on the issue, uh, at hand, which is about, you know, land back, uh, to, to First Nations tribes. Uh, but to, to take a step back, though, I think Blake touched on two very interesting things about maybe the overall state of immersive, and that is that we have found it expanding. And I feel like in listening to Blake and knowing some of the topics we're going to be talking about here very shortly, so much of it is about mixing elements together taking installation and live performance and weaving those together, even when maybe the location is its own thing and the company of performers is a completely separate thing. I think that's been a very interesting shift in the pandemic world we live in where so many things are expanding possibly out of necessity and survival, but maybe as a way to find new audiences and to gauge those people because you know, it's interesting, Blake, you found a place where they were encouraging mask wearing and things and stuff like that. But probably for every, uh, for that one performance, there could be many others in Miami that are not encouraging that, not doing that. And that's definitely fed into essentially another element of this of like having risk appetite to be going out in the city or going out in your town or wherever you are to try to experience some culture and art when the stakes to just the rest of your livelihood are so high. I think that's like a really important kind of thing too right now. For sure. And I guess, you know, speaking of risk appetite, the one other real trend I'm seeing on the East Coast is that, you know, last year I can point to a lot of very specific outdoor festival pieces that were really strong at Philadelphia Fringe. And... 
while we haven't gotten any concrete programs yet, so I cannot give anything too certain, the buzz is that we're gearing up for another very strong Fringe Festival this year with a really high immersive presence. Mm. That I, I think that, you know, as risk appetites have shifted, you know, both right. as people become more risk averse, then there was a big surge of, you know, you know, we're back in the bars before today people are going, okay, actually, but are we though? I think that, I think that immersive has been as a very flexible medium been something that has been wholeheartedly embraced because it can adapt there. And I think we're going to be seeing a lot of that this fall. I think once festival season is in full swing, we are going to be seeing a lot of things adapted to outdoor with immersive elements tacked onto them and incorporated into them. But go ahead. You're you're making a good point, but but let me counter with, will we though? Because. Counterpoint, <laughs> <laughs> um, point, you are wrong, says Leah. <laughs> well, the thing is, I, I think you're right. And I think that you're reading all of the signs right. But I've been going through this exercise over the past two or three weeks as Fringe has been coming up in, in Providence, for instance, as well. Um, and in Providence and Boston, I've been reaching out to creators uh, for any listing that, that I see anywhere on the internet that has the word immersive appended to it. So especially with Fringe coming up, I am all about trying to find who these new new creators are. And I've got to tell you, 100% of my outreach has been met with, oh, I'm so excited that you're interested in this. We would love to keep in touch with you. But this piece really maybe isn't exactly immersive. It has some elements, maybe kind of, sort of. So I think part of what you're seeing is, is this desire to attach to something that has remained powerful over the pandemic and that clearly has a lot of people's attention right now. Um, But I think it's going to be a little bit hard to sort between what's actually, you know, really meaty immersive stuff versus sort of immersive light. Or that it's just being used as a buzzword, which we Mm -hmm. continually encounter constantly. And on top of that, I think what has happened is that I think it's being broken down that immersive is being used as a catch-all in regards to simply anything where you don't sit in the dark and stare straight ahead and don't interact with anyone. Like basically if you're not doing that, you must be immersive. And, and, and from a certain point of view, like te- it's one of those things where like, well, technically you're not wrong, but like there's, there's such a range uh, of what can fall under the umbrella that yes. you do have people, you, you do have people, you know, going to see something like, you know, we'll say like, you know, an, inver- an immersive Van Gogh, just, you know, because there's so many of them and, and going to that and being like, Oh, these are some pretty pictures on the walls, but is that all there is? That was $45. And then looking at something else that might be $45, but is actually, you're going to tra- traverse through a 9,000 square foot, you know, space. And there's going to be six actors and you're doing all this stuff. But for you, immersive means, you know, staring at, you know, a savanna filled with animals on a 20 minute loop, which is something I've done, which was, you know, labeled as immersive. <laughs> and, and, and these, these, these are, they're both, you know, fruits, but you know, one's, one's a banana and, and, and one's a dragon fruit. And those are very different things. Okay. So I want to, I want to tell you a stupid story and then I've got, I've got questions. Got um, about fruit. It's not about fruit. Well, oh, it could it. it could be. Hold on, it could be. Um, hang, hang no with spoilers. me. No so, spoilers. 
so I was, I was doing um, an immersive box experience with my friends the other week and uh, we were going through and it was fun. And, you know, it was just, it was your kind of standard, you would have called it like um, a a murder mystery game in the nineties. But we were going through this thing and there were lots of really interesting components And by the end, I was sort of getting cranky about it because I I was grumbling about, you know, this isn't really immersive. And I started thinking like, what what would it take for this to to feel really immersive to me? And I I remember like looking at one of my friends and being like, "Ah, there was nothing I could taste. Like, (laughs) and and for me in that moment, there just weren't enough components. There was stuff I could hold, but like without having some of my other senses engaged, it just, it wasn't hitting the bar of immersive for me. Um, So it made me realize that I I have two very specific requirements for what makes a thing immersive for me. And I'd like to know what your guys' are as well. Is one of them that you can lick it? Yeah. That is a big one for me too. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. No, no, no. Okay. My my two, my two. One is that has to, um, engage at least three of my senses in a way that would not otherwise, they would not otherwise be engaged. It has to really shift something about them. Um, I made up the number three right now and I'm, I'm easily distracted. So don't, don't hold my feet to the fire on that one. Um, and the other is that it has to create a cultural norm that is other than the one that I am engaged in, in my daily life. So I have to I have to be part of a space where I feel like I am inclined to behave pretty differently because of the thing that I'm engaging with. Kevin, what about you? What what are what are the what are the qual- I'm going to save me for the end. Oh, I don't I don't know, man. It's, I feel like it's like the Supreme Court thing, right? It's like you know when you see it. Um, oh, it's fair. It's fair. Yeah, I like sometimes it's like it's like this is like kind of immersive, or this was like super immersive, and it's like. I think sometimes even individual shows can can rise to uh, your experience in a show could be different than mine. And it could rise to like, oh, that was like really immersive for me. Or it was less immersive for you, depending on how much you engage with it or feel engaged that night or how much the performers kind of like engage with you or whatever. I don't I feel like that's kind of like a wishy washy cop out answer. But that is how I kind of like approach these things. Like some, some are like, oh, that's definitely going to be immersive. And it is. And sometimes you run and it's like, oh, that was not what I was expecting. And uh, it's kind of like a vibe, man. You know, that's why I think this question is so interesting because I, I stopped trying to define immersive a long while ago because I, I just don't think that there is one one way to look at it. But I think you can kind of say, well, well, for me, in most contexts, here's what immersive, like, here's what I need to feel like, like I'm immersed. Um, but I think I think you've hit the nail on the head describing it that way. Blake. Well, and I think, oh, in Patrick, regards, no, 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 yeah, for it, yeah, yeah, because I think in regards to what Leah was saying about senses, I think there's also, for me, in this topic, it would be about engaging my imagination, pushing my mental muscles, maybe working with an actor or a piece of scenery or a prop or something or whatever, but that. I, I too have to do some work here that I can't just rely on the experience to do everything for me, to bring me in. I need to allow myself in to come in. So I think that's a really big part of it too, is that whether the art allows that or not, uh, I think is key to this, but definitely 
if I am able to comfortably without question or concern, put myself into the world or into the narrative or join this character. And I think that's a big thing for me. So piggybacking off of what you were just saying, I once had an incredibly pretentious conversation. Uh, I can, I can razz myself for it where I was trying to analyze. (laughs) Who would have foreseen me navel gazing about immersive theater? But I was, I was trying to analyze why I love eating things in immersive theater. Other than the fact that if you put a yummy nibble in front of me, I'm going to put it in my mouth. Um, but the the thing that I kept coming back to was uh, mythology and fey myths and Hades and Persephone and the feeling of, well, if you eat it, then it it's in you and you are inextricable from it as, as it's in you and you're combined with it. And now the story has become a part of yourself. There's a connection that occurs. Exactly. And because of that, I think that there are certain, even video games that activate the same parts of my brain that immersive theater activates. I want to Mm -hmm. feel a sense that my presence here is not by accident and that I am less a spectator and more a part of the world that is being created. I can be an unimportant part. One thing that was kind of interesting in our tech house is each, you know, little bit of installation art, each 20 minute projected loop video on a big wall, each, you know, light display that you could wave your hands over to make it jingle and jangle. Each of those was in such a way that you were very much a resident of the city they were attempting to create a picture of through each installation. And by having everyone do that, you're now also exploring a city that's filled with residents. And that really worked for me in elevating installation art, which weirdly enough, I grew up with a lot of in DC, going to the Hirshhorn as a kid. That elevated it to immersive installation art and not just Mm -hmm. installation art that I had a place within it. And that place within it, I think is where I really start to determine whether it crosses the immersive threshold for me. So, you know, going back into the, the deep archives of, of this podcast, like within the first, I think 50 episodes, and you can find a conversation where Zay and I are talking about immersive as something that um, ha- has a bunch of signs, right? Almost like it's a, it, it, there's a diagnosis. It's like a disease, right? You know, like there's certain symptoms of immersive. Uh, and and I still think that's... Jeff Foxworthy. You might be immersive if... No, 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 no you can't. No. Oh, yeah, no, Unacceptable yeah. under any yeah. circumstance. Yeah, exactly. No? Uh, oh. No. no not do that. <laughs> um, but... And, and, and it's interesting because like, you know, earlier today, and this will be in next week's episode, I, I had a conversation with Frank Rose, who wrote The Art of Immersion back in 2011, and whose latest book is uh, The Sea We Swim In. And of course, when Frank's talking about, you know, immersion and, and immersive media, 
uh, it's a lot broader than what we normally talk about here at NoPro, right? I mean, the conversation about immersing people in stories, you know, definitely swings all the way out to to brands uh, and and platforms and people losing themselves in in the story, right? Like it's a story you can lose yourself in. That's that's functionally the, the definition he uses, and for me the threshold like when does something become immersive um maybe even regardless of the medium. you know when you see it man a bit of know you see it but but i think i think i'm starting to to know where that threshold is what what's required and it's not a checklist but it it goes a little like this when the work believes in its reality enough that i can let go and believe in its reality and and be part of its reality sort of to speak to what Blake was talking about right like 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 eating the food and now you're in fairyland when when the work believes in itself and its solidity and its rules and its reality has that conviction enough to let you join it uh-huh that's when the immersive magic happens. And if anything, and I was thinking about this when I was talking with Frank today, if anything, the thing about the live stuff, right, which he notes like doesn't scale, right? And we all know like the, the, the trouble with the live stuff is it has trouble scaling because, you know, you got only so many bodies. But actually the live stuff I also think and the XR stuff, it actually has a, a higher threshold. Like it's a higher level of difficulty because – for the live or the XR to reach that level of immersive that just reading a book and losing yourself in it, right? Like the conviction of the author. Um, it's got to believe in it more. It's got to, it's got to give you more signs that it's real. It's got more to overcome, but of course, because it has more to overcome a, a bigger uncanny valley to bridge, if you will, that when it lands, my God, does it land? You know, it's, I 100% agree. And the, the word conviction really stuck out to me there, that it's almost that it's it's the creation of a world robust enough that my presence doesn't destroy it. You know, a, a story is a fragile thing, and we as humans are big and stompy. Uh, the best work stands up to all the destruction we bring to it. Hmm. That's funny that you you say it that way because Noah, while you were talking, and even now, Blake, what I was thinking was, gosh, I can't tell you how many LARPs I've been to that I've had such poor production quality, and the immersion has been so complete because essentially you have enough people who have bought it into the fairy dust of, of believing hard in the in the narrative. This is a perfect um, segue because our next section was going to be yeah. that. LARPs from you. So let's, oh, let's, let's talk about the state of LARP, but also we'll talk about this, this, this notion, because I think one of the other things right now is, is I think some of the, the solution to the scaling problem, I'm not going to say LARP solve the problem. Cause I think there's a little bit, I think there's a little bit of tendency, particularly in the LARP world to be like a LARP solve the immersive theater problem. And I got to <laughs> say like in my own experience of immersive theater was that immersive theater solved the LARP problem. So like, sorry everybody. I was a LARPer first and then I came to immersive theater. I was like, Oh wow. 
this this is this is what I've been chasing. <laughs> Not like how can I get character sheets? And I know Nordic Lord, come for me. No, come for me. Like because I'll, I'll I'll fight back. Uh, but but uh, I do think that the the power <laughs> the power in the LARP is that it, it democratizes that conviction, right? Like it's the shared belief of everybody that creates that consensual hallucination. That you know, even if the even you know. We're, for us back in college, it was like, oh, we're standing around, you know, UC Berkeley and, you know, pretending that, you know, we're a grand convocation of vampires. Um, but but we bought into each other's performances and that created the reality. So talk to us about the state of LARPs right now or, or what's on the horizon. Yeah. OK. But but first, Noah, I'm, I'm not going to come for you because in my style of LARP, uh we played a lift, and for me, that means I played a lose, so uh, you will win that fight. <laughs> <laughs> I've never boffed anyone in my entire life. Um, I would like to start, though. So I, I did get my first foam sword uh, just just two weeks ago. Uh, bu- God help us all. Bu- buff, buffer Lepper is fun. Buffer, buff, I mean, I, I, was, I was more, you know... Uh, vampire the masquerade than than buffer larp by far in fact we never larped with the buffer sticks uh some some people in our cadre did uh they did the nero larp which is actually out there right is out there in new england so there are people who did nero and, and a few of the other things out there um but uh when when we had our buffer sticks we just went to golden gate park and hit each other with foam swords for, you know, we, had, we had grand melees but no story just just violence but nothing takes you out of those larps like when you have to shout how much that hit like gives to the person you're hitting and then like it's so funny because like in your comment in regards to who solved what it's like that's always been my problem with LARP is when it needs to get technical to the point where you need to track things in some of in some forms of LARP, not all. Right. That is always such a killer in regards what? to okay, I gotta remember someone eight different people were shouting eight different numbers at me, and I gotta to- total those up at some point. Well, and I, th- I think the people, I think that when the argument gets made that like immersive that that LARP solves immersive theater is on the side of the Nordic LARPing, right? Which are which right. are a little bit closer to like improv theater with rules, but like very light rules. And those rules tend to be play to play to lose. Although talk to me, Leah, talk to me about play to lift. Cause I haven't heard that term before. Okay. So, so play to lift is an idea that if, if every player goes into a LARP with the idea that you are going to try and make the best game and best story for the people around you, then you yourself, as well as everyone around you are going to have just amazing games. Um, so it's similar to play, play to lose where you, you know, lean into this idea that a dramatic loss or death or failure can be just as narratively satisfying as, as a win. Um, but it allows, I think for a much richer range of expression. I love that phrasing. Cause like, I feel like play to lose particularly at least to American ears, it's like, why would I want to lose America? Let's go d- down to a Jeff Foxworthy show. <laughs> you know, like, uh, but, but playing to live. Is this what happens in the After Dark show? Poor Jeff. 
This is what happened on the After Dark shows. Now we just do out Jeff Foxworthy impressions. Of, like swearing. Yeah, that wasn't an impression. That was that was that was an impression of one of his fans. Hello, like we're no, just. So, I just want to get in trouble. Weird, weird amount of Jeff Foxworthy content. I didn't bring it to the table. I'm just doing callbacks because, like you know, reincorporation. It's a it's an improv skill. Um. So, uh, damn it, no, no, derailed. But but the idea of playing to lift, like there's a there's a positiveness to that. Right there, there's there's something about you know lifting up the congregation, lifting up the lifting up the truth. You know, my building a sense of community, yeah, beyond yourself at the people around you and how they're interacting with the world and others and yourself, being stepping outside of yourself. Now, if I may be the Grinch for just a moment, you may. I think that Play to Lift is a lovely philosophy, and I think it makes amazing games. I have played Play to Lift games before, but as someone who I think comes out of a similar LARP tradition as Yulia, where I play a lot of parlor LARPs, I play a lot of um, very sort of structured non-boffer, but also non-Nordic style, I find that and I'm not going to name names, there have been LARPs that have been enabled by a play-to-lift mentality in that they've gotten creatively lazy because they know that a dedicated player base is going to fix the LARP. That Mm. I can have a a very satisfying narrative experience and LARP experience just making up a story with my friends where we're playing dramatic, zany characters, but... When I'm coming to LARP as sort of a theatrical and immersive experience, I oftentimes want something a little bit more curated, something a little bit more in line with almost a directoral vision. I mean, I I mean, I know one of the things, and maybe Kevin, you've probably experienced a few of these here in LA as well. I've gone to plenty of immersive shows that I think have the same problem you're talking about, Blake, with, with these LARPs, where it's like they know that the that the the audience is going to bring a lot to it so they they don't the, the the creators don't put as much effort in maybe it's a fully improvised thing or it's like we're just going to drop you in this sandbox and 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 check it out you've had those experiences kevin yeah right? i've definitely had a had a few and some i think are i think the ones that that do it a little bit lighter work work better and they kind of give you a framework to play around the LARP if you're not familiar with it. I, I don't LARP. I don't engage with them. I will bounce off them about as hard as possible. So I do avoid them. But any shows that kind of put me in that position, it's like I don't, they're putting too much lift on me for, for this kind of show. And I imagine even though like there's an active LA scene and people will dive right in, I think that doesn't open up to like a wider market too if you're kind of putting that much onus on the, the person and forcing them into the show to play along at such a high level just to keep your show functioning that's a problem in design in my opinion unless you are advertising as a larp so you get the right kind of Mm. attendees instead of people who don't know what the fuck they're walking into and are like whoa i i don't want to play along this hard i thought this was an immersive show not a larp so so i recently had the pleasure of attending a small uh historical reenactment interactive theater piece in salem uh, and it was very much a combination of of LARP and interactive theater. Um, and it, what it reminded me most of was was our Ren Faire. Um, 
and it was great. It was fine. I, but I think because they, they didn't really have the right words to describe what it was, I left feeling a little bit like, okay, I, I kind of would have liked for it to have leaned a little bit harder in, in one direction or the other. Uh, and what I'm, what I'm getting at, I think, Kevin, is that a lack of distinction between LARP and immersive and even different kinds of LARP, um, like a, a lack of an easy way to talk about the meaningful ways that these different kinds of games and shows differ is magical because, hey, you might stumble into something amazing, but it can also be both confusing and off-putting. Um, and I've learned through years of doing LARP that there are very specific kinds of LARPs I like, and there are some that I just am not into. And even though they all fun- fall under the same big umbrella of LARP, and if I were to look for LARP, a LARP that I might want to go to, both would come up. Um, I'm really only interested in these two or three day long one-offs um, with a dedicated story and no fighting and low mechanics. And, and I th- how do you oh. find that, you know? Yeah, and I think that's that's something we've kind of talked about in review crew quite a quite a bit, right? Is like how do you being clear about what your show is as you're designing it, I think is is super important. And then the piece that follows from that is how do you actually like communicate to your potential audience about what the show is and to be clear about that and don't don't waffle like I the more information you provide people, and I think we've we've gotten past the point where people are trying to be like super secretive um for the most part. <laughs> Cause that was a, that was a plague on LA for a while. I was like, no one wanted to tell you what anything was happening in a show. Um, but get me on my show. Like, it's immersive. Yeah. It's dark and it's in a secret location. And uh, that's all you dark and I used to chase that stuff so hard. I would hit every single one of those. All I needed was like two lines and a mystery, <laughs> but I think we two kind lines of hit that. What? Two <laughs> lines and a mystery. Oh, Oh, no. <laughs> It's after dark show. What are we gonna do? Why I never? Those were the kinds of shows that had my coworkers (laughs) calling me Stefan. Like, no, I, I kind of my my patience has kind of expired. For like, we're gonna just shake you around in a dark room, and maybe there'll be a point. Maybe there won't. Come and find. Well, I'm. I'm still into it, but but we don't need to do that anymore. And I think I think the bar is set a little bit higher. The, the um, bar is definitely set a little bit higher. But I yeah. I, I got to admit. So speaking of LARPs, I I uh, Nick Fortuno, who uh, who we're blessed to have write for us these days because he's he's made a lot of like stuff like with Lance Weiler, you know, interactive lab stuff, and 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 he's starting to you know he's been going to a bunch of experiences and he came around and was like, oh hey, I should just. I'm doing this stuff. So can I, how about I write about it for you? Cause I'm already telling my friends about it. I'm like, Oh, that's great. That's very much the no pro way. So he's going to Saturnalia in November. And for those who don't know, Saturnalia is the big, at least this year, I don't think it's always called Saturnalia, but maybe it is now. It's the big vampire, the masquerade, uh, sort of like official VTM LARP in new Orleans. And, uh, the big American vampire LARP, like the annual convocation traditionally has been in New Orleans. So the big official, you know, I think at one point it was called the Grand Masquerade. So he's going there and I was like, oh, cool. And he's like, yeah, like I'm just got a normal ticket, but I can like it up, you know, I can write some mail. I was like, oh, that, that'll be great. You know, I'll, I'll be good to get a, a report from the ground. And I got curious because I was like, oh, what's, what's up with Saturnalia? You know, like, are they sold out yet? Should we list it on EI? We're going to list it on EI because they're not totally sold out yet. But what I was fascinated by 
was that the base ticket's $400. And then there's like some premium upsell tickets. There's also some options to like go as a, as a coterie. Like you can buy your group ticket, which I think is really great and, and wonderful. But then there were add-ons. And there's like, Uh-oh. there's like side quest, $50. And I was like, microtransactions have come to almost, yeah. Like you'll see, and there was there was um, on on so it's a remember it's a four hundred dollar base ticket, but then like the the highest level ticket I think for for a a normie was I think like a a thousand dollars, but then there was hold on hold on isn't this a twelve hour LARP? No, it's like a weekender. It's a weekend, mm-hmm. right? I, I think so. Maybe, so maybe it's twelve hour. Maybe it's a twelve hour LARP. But but okay, we're gonna come back to this. We're gonna come back to this. Running like the genie plus of LARP. This is terrible. But 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 here's the here's the well a, a little bit. But I think they know their audience because one of the things that was a possibility. Let me be very careful right now because I don't want to misquote the price. And here's the thing. I'm going to quote you guys a price real quick. And I want you to know that this is this is sold out. Um, this option is sold out. So one of the options, and again, this is the big, you know, this is this is the this is the big one, right? This is the big, yeah, you know, in the French quarter, uh, it's the the 12th of November, it's the official one. Let me find it here. Where's that? And, and while you're print? doing that, like whatever the price is, what you're going to quote is like the people who attend uh, LARPs like this or other events or, you know, go to Galactic Star Cruiser every year or go to the Disneyland's or travel overseas or whatever. Like if this is what they enjoy and this is the one thing they do, then to that point, like, you know, if, if it's a thousand dollars then that's what they want to spend their thousand dollars on. Oh yeah. Well, and it's, it's like, it's, you know, I mean, burning man is, is an equivalent here. So here we go. Yeah. So, um, out of stock, right. So out of stock here. So that like the add on, there's an add on LARP secret location. So there's a secret location in the game and that was $50 and, and that's out of stock. Right. Uh, not out of stock yet is the the day before event, which is on a steamboat, which is five hundred bucks. But the one that the one that I thought was interesting in how we got here because it feels like a hybrid of LARP and what was in demand in Los Angeles a few years ago. Add on hunted Inquisition. This is out of stock. It's two thousand dollars. I got a feeling there it might have been a one of one. And basically the idea here is your character gets kidnapped by the Inquisition, by the big by the biggest of big bads, the human hunters, and you get an entire uh, you know personalized kidnap extreme horror like experience with an escape that then leads you directly into your onboarding into the main game. And then that basically becomes your backstory for the game that you can then go tell everybody, I just did some really crazy shit. And it was, it was, it's $2,000 for what sounds like a bespoke experience. Um, and, okay, see, that yeah. is, that is different than what you were describing though. Cause to me, this was sounding like, you know, oh, but you're not a main character unless you, you know, pay to get the real experience. It, it felt more from the $50 for a side quest thing, like like Sleep No More with paid one-on-ones. This, you're, you're paying for an entirely custom 
Oh yeah, but there but there are other things like there is there is add on LARP side quest fifty dollars add on LARP secret location, uh fifty dollars add on LARP event death and hope like an entirely extra game the day before five hundred dollars, and there's like you know makeup sessions right so like there's there are things you can tack on to this, to you know, make your experience better or fuller. And, and they're only offering, you know, I, I don't know what, how many are, are offered up in, in a single go. And again, you know, this is, they also haven't been able to do this for a few years, right? But, but this is sort of the, the, the aim towards the blockbuster LARP. I don't know if it's over two days, though. I, I think you might be right. Because so, it just lists one day. It may only be one day. Yeah, I think it's not even one day. I think it's, I think it's a 12-hour period. And, and here's well, it's vampire, why I'm... Mean, you know, one night. So I should say one night. Sure. Yeah. Here's why I'm a little bit suspicious. And, and listen, let me give big kudos to Reverie Studio, um, who is partnering with, um, with another Binance Studios, which are the, Thank you. They're the they're the publisher of the uh, the LARP rules for Vampire, so they've got the license. okay. Yeah. So so here, big props to Reverie because one thing that they're doing is they're pricing themselves correctly for the work that goes into a LARP, and I think this is the big downfall of LARP is magical experiences are created, but people barely break even on most of these things. Um, they're not money spinners, and okay, you know what? Running an event like this, writing these characters, producing an event, hella expensive. So, you know, this is what it is. An add-on to go on a... I presume this is a fully functioning steamboat. Like... (laughs) Coal in this economy? I mean, my God. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, it's 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 basically like you know, oh, it's it's a game the night before, and then right. the basic game is for you know is for like the ba- the core ticket is four hundred bucks. Then this is like a special one in a special place. And look, like so, the lead, the lead, you know, the lead creator here is Joanna Peterson, who like is one of the experts on LARP, right? So it it it's it's the LARPing equivalent of like, hey, so George Lucas is running a. <laughs> Right, but in this game, you want to you want to pay for a game design. It's a Michelin star LARP. Yeah, Blake, that's perfect. It's a Michelin star. It could be this. Honestly, it's probably um, two Michelin stars. You know. So you know what? We'll 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 see. But hold on, hold on, hold on, because I have I have relevant information here. Um, I really wanted to do this LARP. I I was there when they announced it. I was super stoked. I I really like. I'm like, cool. Let's go. Let's go be be vampires. It's going to be amazing. Um, but they had announced it right off of the the at the tail end of the Haunting of Grey Manor, which was their blockbuster LARP in Cambridge, Massachusetts, mm. uh, build October eighth through tenth, um, and it was it was a haunted house. Everyone is some manner of spirit, and and there are evil things going on. Um, the great things about this LARP: the characters were written beautifully. I had probably the best character I've ever had written for me. I was so excited. The space was great. It was in a Masonic temple. Um, the price was great for an October eighth to tenth for a for a what intent three day LARP. It was fantastic. Uh, cool. I was in. It had a lot of the same things promised, like makeup, um, special effects were were available to anyone who wanted them. Uh, each room was being individually sound mastered to match the ambience and the energy of the room as stuff was happening inside of it. Really cool stuff. Yeah. But in practice, guys, I was disappointed. 
Yeah. I, like the, the, the reach maybe exceeded the grasp. Yeah. What, what it felt like were people with some really great skill sets getting really excited about showing off these skill sets um, and holding on pretty tightly to the story. So there were some really beautiful moments of, of emergent play between characters. Uh, but more than once, the LARP runner sort of stepped in and out of game redirected things to make the story move a little bit more like they wanted it to. Um, which I found super off-putting. And on top of it, and this was the part that really stung me, you know, when I bought my ticket half a year or more in advance, I'm looking at like three days. This was a reasonable investment Mm -hmm. for a a high production LARP. And it turns out the gameplay itself was also only 12 hours. Um, And the, the days that we were looking at were like, you can come to Boston ahead of time if you want and go on a tour, or you can meet people for lunch. And it was all very like out of game and, and, unfulfilling for me personally. So when they were talking about Saturnalia, they're talking about like, wow, we've got all these locations and like, we're going to be wandering through the city and all of this stuff is going to be happening around in private and public locations. But in my head, I'm trying to do the math there and I'm thinking, gosh, for such a short period of time, how how are people even going to see the spaces that they're, that they're being asked to play in? And like, how is this actually going to work? So um, open call. Anyone who goes to Saturnalia, I would love to be proven wrong. I would love to hear more about this. Um, well, one, I mean, we do. Nick is Nick is going, so we're gonna we're gonna get the Nick's report. Nick's not here, Noah. No, I know, but like Nick, but but the good news is we're getting the report. So, okay, but cool. yes, everyone else, yeah, like if we, only we if only we did a show <laughs> where we had the correspondence and staff get together and talk about things and review the group or as a Whoa. as a. It's the word. If only we did. If only we did. That's a great idea. Okay. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. We've gone gone very long. We've gone very, very long on this. And we we, we drilled in on Saturnalia. uh, This is not a Saturnalia thing. This is just one general point I want to make. Go for it. Super briefly. Have you read Pete Wells' infamous review of Per Se in the New York Times, the Michelin-starred restaurant? This is all I'm getting at because I want to make sure that I am clear here. He describes the the, uh, supplement courses there as utterly spectacular, wonderful, but the mains that those supplements would be replacing, you know, the salad that the foie gras course replaces as being utterly dismal to the point where it feels like extortion that this is being offered as a supplement. The one thing I just worry about is with supplements like that, is that these are things that should have been part of a core narrative experience, even Mm -hmm. if that is a core narrative experience offered at a higher price point. And Mm -hmm. so we'll have to see, once again, I'm with Leah, I would like to be proven wrong here and I eagerly await the report. Yeah. All right, so. Would would you guys like a state of the LARP union in 30 seconds or less? Yes. All right, here, here it goes. A lot of stuff was canceled. Uh, a few things ran in 2021. Uh, some conventions like Intercon got canceled in 2022 and are coming back for 2023. Uh, Summer Larpin did just run just this past weekend, and I sadly missed it because I was struck with COVID. Uh, but I've been watching their COVID policies, and there's some interesting work around uh, masking and contact tracing that I'm very proud of for them. And it looks like we've got some big games coming back up. Um, personally, I'm looking forward to Triumph in Croatia coming up in November, fingers crossed. Saturnalia is obviously coming up. Uh, and we've got some College of Wizardry 
back in rotation if you're heading to Poland anytime soon. All right. Cautiously optimistic is what we're looking at here. Cautiously optimistic. I like I like some cautious optimism. And I like I like the idea that uh that uh you know LARP is having uh, another moment uh in the sun uh here on on the other side of uh, the high pandemic as we go into the low pandemic. Um Speaking of places that have been impacted by the pandemic, uh, Kevin, let's uh, let's talk about our uh, our hometown here for a second. Yeah, sure. So um, I feel like uh, LA has definitely, as with everywhere, has gotten kind of hit by the immersive downturn because of the pandemic, and I feel like it's just kind of like this, like I don't know, sense of malaise, sense of like ennui about like the scene right now i don't know that's like i've been to a few shows this year i've been to actually probably like one a month the last couple months at least but just kind of everything feels like slight i don't know what i don't i don't know if you have have the same kind of experience or that's just kind of like where my head's at right now i don't know how do you how do you feel about the scene here i mean i think things are things are definitely like funky right because I think the, the the continued. I mean, one of the things is we just had Fringe, and Fringe tends to be a place where new talent emerges. Uh, there's there's a fair number of shows. Uh, there's some established companies that do some experiments, and this year Fringe on the immersive side, like we got some good buzz. There was a good buzz on one show that we didn't see. Uh, that like we had reached out to, but then didn't bounce back. We also didn't have a lot of the shows reaching out to us. Uh, and then we saw a couple of shows, like we saw signals and we saw, uh, not another midsummer, which I really, I, I really enjoyed not another midsummer. And yeah, I, thought I, that, I thought that signals had some promise. Um, again, it's trying to skate between sort of, you know, it's got the MMO, you know, vibe to it. So it's kind of, kind of touching LARPy a little bit, but it's a little bit more like a massively multiplayer online game. So it's, it's, it's touching maybe a little bit what secret cinema did at arcane, but in a much smaller format. So, you know, there's, there's, there's things going on there, like some interesting ideas. Um, I, I think there's, there's, I don't even want to say there's malaise. Cause I can also look around and, you know, there's interesting things happening. It's just not necessarily uh, coming from what we've traditionally thought of mm. as, you know, immersive in LA. So, and that's, and that's fair. Cause I think we've seen a fair number of kind of the installation art type things, which, yeah. which Laura has done a great job covering, which I tend not to attend, but I think just looking back even a couple of years ago and obviously pandemic is, is the, the big thing here, but it just feels like there's like kind of less stuff and less like, interesting work and not to say the work that that's here is 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 bad because it's i've enjoyed a, a good number of the things i've done done recently but it's kind of like i feel like it's just like a weird we're in a weird spot here well it's spooky seasons come up so maybe it's just like we're gearing up for september through november here and it'll be everything will be fine in la and uh, it's fall. yeah i mean we we do tend to be relatively seasonal here with like the big the big splash and i think you know i'm one of the one of the things that was disappointing was that you know night fever uh, came through and then I think didn't last as long as everyone thought it was going to last. And, uh, you know, so much of that does come down to 
things looked like they were going well. And then Omicron surge hit. And then like, then there's been complications. And like, I think there's definitely this kind of weird space where here's the thing. I tend to think that there's something that going to an immersive show gives you in terms of your socialization nutrients that if you are maybe a little antisocial or a little crabby, like you get what you need out of it. Uh, and they're structured in such a way that they're like, it's sort of friendly to folks who don't just want to go to a concert or just want to hang out in a bar. Like they, they want something more. They want a reason for being there, but that a lot of those folks as pandemics hit have kind of, you know, taken a step back, right? Like they're being more cautious about what they go to, even as they're craving connection. Uh, and so this sweet spot of who the core immersive audience is, uh, isn't as inclined to show up for something and the not core audience is already, you know, running out to concerts and doing this, that, and the other thing. So a little bit of the, who is it for that being said, I haven't gone to Reverie. I haven't gone to club Babalu, uh, both of which are look to be immersive adjacent stuff here in LA and maybe even stuff that starts defining for people what immersive is. And yeah, we've got spooky season coming up. We, we know Delusion is casting. Uh, we we think JFI's got something, you know, cooking. Like they were casting for the Willows early in the year, so they may be bringing the Willows back around, not doing a creep. We know there's a few haunt stuff that's going to happen. Um, but then, uh, you know, you've got um, Model Land, which was supposed to open pre-pandemic, which has started up its Instagram um you know presence again and we know model land was aimed a little bit more towards the selfie palace type zone we thought but we also knew they were hiring a bunch of performers even hiring people from the immersive theater scene to be part of that cast so it's like la feels like it's it's taken a little longer to like get back in stride and i do think that it, some of that has to do with that some of the the mainstay indie companies who at this point in the year would have either had a show already or, or stood up like a speakeasy society or E3W mm -hmm. some of the others, like they're out of rotation right now for, and, for any number of reasons. And yeah, maybe that's just what I'm feeling is like kind of the, some of the, the staples here haven't put on any work and no one has really stepped in to kind of fill that, that void of, of those kind of like those mid-level shows that are not quite like the size of like a revive or a Babalu. Um, which people I think probably are maybe, I know I'm probably more uncomfortable going to those shows right now than even I was a couple months ago. So I've avoided them. I know that's just, that's kind of what it is. We're, we're missing that kind of like what had been the core of the LA scene as, as everyone kind of spins back up from the, the pandemic. And we'll... You know, guys, I think we're feeling it across the country though. Hmm. Um, I feel like a lot of longer running staples are, are wrapping up they're coming to the close of what of their natural lifetime. Um, and maybe it's all just happening at the same time. Um, and it, I spent the last couple of months kind of being bummed about it, sort of feeling like I was, I was missing out a little bit. Um, but recently I've started getting really excited about what, what this might mean for, for new stuff, for new growth to come up over the next couple of months. Well, and I have a Finger question with, 
Yeah, and I have a question in regards to like the LA scene with you, uh, Noah and Kevin. Is that how? I don't want to get too technical. I don't want to get too in the weeds, but like, how easy is it for companies or artists to do a show to actually make something happen? Because I ask this because I'm here in Chicago, and Chicago has some of like the strictest guidelines in regards to performance in buildings and spaces uh fire codes exists uh for performance venues because of this city and it's such a detrimental thing i know um in passing i believe there's like you know it's very hard to get an escape room business going here yeah no it's hard stuff it's hard i mean and 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 this has been true since 2016 and the ghost ship fire in Oakland. And we right. talked about that on this show a bazillion times. It remains true. Uh, there's, and it's the grand frustration in LA. So the two things that hold you back in LA are the permitting regime, right? Yep. And land. Because any given space where an immersive could pop up at scale, Right, something that would be on 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 the order of magnitude of like a a third rail, let alone a punch drunk show, uh, is valuable land that could be used to film a Netflix show, <laughs> and those landlords are holding out for that Netflix money. So what? And maybe that's going to change. We need to film Netflix shows inside of third rail sets uh no because if we do that then there'll never be another third rail show because there'll only be netflix shows going right so if anything the opposite we need to convince netflix that all they need to do to get back in the good graces of everyone is to make a bunch of korean television style game shows about people going to immersive theater projects and then let those immersive theater projects run right it's old Right? It's it's funny you mentioned Netflix costing uh, show show space, but even that's what happened to the Arcane production, right? Like they put up in a in a soundstage, and they had to get out. Someone else can come film an actual like TV show or something in there. Yeah, and that was a Netflix show, so even there, yeah, they'll get the boot. Yeah, and like, and you know, and there's, you know, if we want to get super technical, is like, you know, riots the one who like dictated so much of how arcane happened right down to the whole like we only drop two episodes a week uh like that was all them uh so but but yes right and and you know one of the interesting things is is that you know fever and netflix in their deal like they're moving those netflix attractions around the country right so they've basically started on two different coasts and like I believe the plan at some point is that you know it'll raise up out of New York and raise up out of San Francisco and go somewhere else, and they've got the one that's starting up in London. It's like the same show, just a touring show. That's that's what Broadway shows do, right? Like mm-hmm. they're they're tacking to that model. Uh, it's somewhere between the arena show, uh, you know, the arena ice capades and a Broadway show. It's it's right in the middle there. And where are you going to land this stuff? Uh, the, the the sad thing in Los Angeles is that there's plenty of retail that could be reclaimed, but the permits stand in the way and the change of use right. stuff stands in the way. And and that's where like real money has to come in to make these things happen. Um, and that was and, before, like all of these issues have been known since yeah. the dawn of time for immersive theater and even other art forms. 
And now we have layered in the pandemic and the uh, health crisis, for lack of a better word, but to be a little dramatic about it, and a dollar that has to be stretched very, very far. And I'm so I'm talking very, of course, micro and immediately in regards to when this podcast is dropping, but it's affected me, you know. I'll say that. I mean, like, you know, I think in regards to like, we, we go back to this goes back to the LARP in regards to the cost. This goes back to, uh, you know, like the state of the union. And of course, you know, people who were trying to fight all art for all live art forms are trying to fight people to leave their home, the comfort of their home when they could switch on their television, their laptop, their phone and be entertained endlessly for the rest of their lives. So let's talk about remote shows. Let's get super depressing, and, sure. And, and <laughs> XR. Uh, that's, a, that's a good segue as we, as we run down towards, towards the close here. Uh, Patrick, you're, you're a remote assignment editor, and you're also part of the XR team with me. Uh, mm-hmm. How are things looking right now? Well, that's like kind of the interesting thing in regards to this topic is that uh, in relation to the issues of having a physical performance somewhere, whether it's in a building or a park or wherever, you know, the, the landscape on the digital spaces, whether that's on the internet or, you know, in, in the headset or on a phone, because there's been a really great phone experience that some of us are kind of maybe gearing up to talk about in the near future. There's endless possibilities and you can go in there and get a stake. But then the issue is, of course, as always, is being drowned out by everything else or by Netflix pushing uh, a related game or property in regards to their things. Like, I think we talk about this all the time, and this is something I've been really thinking about a lot lately with a lot of the VR games that I've done. And it's very important to be critical about work. You know, I, there's, you know, like you have an experience, you do enjoy it, but there are problems with it. Like I'm still playing through, I hate to pick on it, but it's Area Man uh, Lives VR. And I'm really enjoying this game, and it's a lot of fun, but to you're stuck in the groundhog cycle. And when you, complete a cycle and go all the way back to the beginning you have to replay a lot of segments potentially to get to a new branching narrative and i i I and i think other reviewers out there have rightfully pointed that out as like an issue in regards to like getting stuck in the groundhog loop is taxing but ultimately i love this game it is funny it is original the space in which you uh, occupy in the VR space is really awesome. And there's a depth to how you interact with it that is super impressive. Like one of the things is that like there's pencils on the table and you can, as the player, throw them up into the ceiling because you're bored. You're bored. The radio ad is playing or there's a caller talking and it's not a big deal because you're a radio DJ. But then later on, in one of the branching paths of the narrative I was taking, I had to help people through magic, through basically just, yeah, it's magic, magic of the imagination, is there were satellites crashing down on them as they were driving in the road. But in the studio space, I would see the outline of the satellites 
and I would take the pencil and I would throw it up into the ceiling and it would break one of the satellites, thus saving them. And I would have to keep doing that. And it's like, this is so fun because I, I don't know. I Was I the only person who ever threw pencils up into the ceiling in a classroom? Or is that like a really dated phenomenon? Do the kids even use pencils in classrooms anymore? I'm just horrified at what a bad kid you were. Jeez. <laughs> Yeah, I never. I Unfortunately, never my like school had popcorn ceilings during my rebellious. Didn't have po- had popcorn ceilings, not a drop tile during my rebellious days. Oh, so I'm so sorry that it wouldn't stick. Yeah, I know. Tragic. Yeah, yeah. I I didn't I didn't have drop tile either. So you know, also I used mechanical pencils. They didn't they didn't stick the same way. Sure, but but ultimately, like the, the, this is I think the problem with regards to a lot of the XR and VR. And maybe at home box experiences stuff is that unfortunately we do need it's it's a great space. I think there's a lot of great stuff on everything immersive. Our VR chat uh, creators are posting new content that they're finding or creating or putting up, which is awesome. But then of course it's either trying to get other people to go explore those VR chat worlds with you or have the time to focus on this other new thing. I don't know. Like Noah, do do you feel like you're drowning sometimes with the XR and VR content that's available to you? Well, I mean, maybe, maybe opposite of drowning more like feeling like, you know, no one's giving me a reason to jump into the pool sometimes. Interesting. Okay. Like I, it's, it's been a minute since i've look i've got a backlog right so let's be clear like i i still owe playing wraith you know uh, sure. i own it um there's there's a couple other narrative pieces uh i think like like the sam and max one like i i intend to do at some point like my 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 pile of shame uh i have piles of shame <laughs> of books and video games and just, just lots and lots and lots of stuff the backlog is huge yeah but you know when something goes like ooh, you gotta come play me right like the thing that's that right now is really on the horizon for me is, you know, walkabout mini golf is going to have the labyrinth course on the 28th of the month. Like I know what day it drops, right? Like I couldn't tell you what day most things on VR drop right now, but I can tell you on the 28th, we're playing labyrinth. Um, And in fact, like we're setting up like the mini golf troop at the Novro discord again, because of it. I'm like, so I'm really, really excited about this. But I also think one of the interesting things there is that, you know, they've put some effort in that game to create a social lobby, to create less like a, a space, a, a lot on creating less friction to get into a game with people. And I think that's the number one thing, at least for me on VR, that's holding me back. And it's so funny because like I do a lot of single player gaming, right? Like I'm playing Assassin's Creed Origins right now because it's on xbox game plus cloud streaming so i can play it on any device imaginable and it's you know part of my subscription and i'm like and it has to be really good but in vr i kind of want my vr to be social like it's it's a very weird thing for me like i'm more interested in multiplayer Mm -hmm. so like i want to go play the bowling game i i want to go play like ray moscow like gifted me the bowling game so i'm supposed to go play with ray at some point i need to ray hi uh we need to play um (laughs) and and walkabout you know, like I love getting into walkabout and playing with people and, and have done that multiple times over the over the pandemic and honestly want to do it more. You know, all that sort of stuff. Uh, I love then, doing world hops with people. Yeah. But, but you know, the 
the effort to get around the you know the the quest social to like launch a game it's still like hard harder than it should be on the I was hand. about to bring that up because yeah. I was trying to play with uh, a group of friends I actually miraculously had three other players to do after the fall from Vertigo games and this is essentially a zombie survival shooter game where you're that it's the world is frozen over but then there's still zombies and so you got to be very careful with your supplies and your rations but then also like you can't be outside for too long otherwise you got to like juice up and all this kind of stuff but you can so you can play it and you can group together but both to what you were saying no is that which how am i supposed to communicate with my fellow players is it through the oculus hardware is it through the after the fall software uh in regards to making sure we're on the same voice channel and then after that how do i make sure i am easily making sure when i hit launch a new mission it is going to be the four of us and that it's not going to just randomly start dropping random people into the group when i i miraculously got through other people like it's that's always been a really hard problem that's where walkabout golf succeeds so well in regards to i mean a great a, a great example of this in the negative is how hard it was to get Star Trek bridge crew uh, to, yeah. to launch with a group of people. And that was a high enough barrier of entry that, uh, you know, Ubisoft who have all sorts of issues and they've been shutting down all kinds of servers, but you know, they, they pulled that game uh, from sale and I don't mm-hmm. even, I, I don't, I, I haven't tried to play in a while. So like, I don't even know if like, you know, we, all of us who have it could like try and play it again. No, and this, so- this yeah, you can you can play by yourself. You can, you can play, play by yourself, but but you can't do social. Right. And and it was so it was such a good idea, and it was actually executed really well. But the the barrier to entry for getting a group together was so high. Like we tried for an hour one time. We really wanted to. And right now, if that mm-hmm. game had if the social stuff had worked, right? If that was baked in, if that was something that Meta as a company had made sure that those games could do that, like they could have been doing new dlc for that game with every season of paramount plus star trek shows that was Mm -hmm. going on right now i mean like to be able to be on pike's enterprise right now would be so cool right you know like go play the scenario from this week right like the transmedia corporate synergies are just staring us in the face and they already had the platform but they couldn't get the core thing which is like you know socializing together to work and so uh, that's I guess that's the thing is like I want to swim with my friends. I don't want to like if I'm doing the if I'm doing the the headset solo, I'm probably in Supernatural or Beat Saber, right? And even Beat Saber you can do with your friends but because like, at this point you've also done most of the I'm going to say like highly well reviewed, well done narrative experiences. Like you've done the yeah. ones that you must play that we all like champion and talk about like vader immortal there's a few others but like those ones that are truly to this conversation of what is immersive like they really nail that narrative journey yeah and then everything else is good but it's not top priority yeah and and you know like i want more of those really good single player ones uh but of course you know i think the the platform holders see the money in you know the the social games which is not unwise but if they can't deliver on the core social experience mm-hmm. then 
it's not going to work, which is why what walkabouts managed to do, which is come up with a lobby name and doesn't matter what platform you're on, you can find it. And oh, here you can hang out in the lobby with your friends and just chill makes it so smart. Like they, they've built that backbone there. Um, so if frustratingly still in potential, right? Like that's the thing, the thing that drives me nuts yes. about XR right now is like, you know, and, and I go on road to VR and I go on upload and, 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 and I love and respect those sites. And yet I see way more about hardware or about, you know, updates to a software from like two years ago than I do about new, interesting, compelling experiences or games that are being, that are coming out. And there's stuff to look forward to. Like there's a Ghostbusters game coming later in this year. Um, and Among Us is coming. Among Us is coming. Like there, there's stuff on the horizon, right? But right now, I just said horizon, but like oh, I'm kind of nonplussed about horizon itself. But like at this very moment, it feels like there there isn't a lot. Um, not of the stuff like because I don't want to play like a battle royale shooter in VR. Like if I want to play a battle royale shooter, I would I would go play Fortnite or Apex Legends or something. But I just I literally don't want to play those shooters, so I'm like, eh. yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And then to take a quick step back in regards to to focus less on the VR and more on the XR. I think, you know, it's such a confusing space in regards to what's hitting or not hitting. And additionally, if talk about what is immersive, like what is XR? <laughs> I know we, I, I go look to previous episodes in regards to all of us trying to tackle that. But in regards to, I think a lot of, for me, XR means essentially is just really doing something that is outside of the ordinary like leah having done a box experience kevin i know you've done a hunt to killer stuff like i personally would group some of that thing things in there and of course that's such a weird space as well because there's only so much you can do with a box to a certain degree and there's you know and only so many puzzles uh, and narratives can be crafted when the person is expected to guide themselves through it whether that's through parsing out random details or reading very carefully a laid out narrative documents, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've spread our wings very wide over this episode 350. Um, any last thoughts on the state of immersive in general? from from the crowd before we uh we send this one off into the into the record books as we we hit a 350th episode of, of, the, yeah. of the cast which is just ridiculous i'm gonna just end with my usual thought uh commercial art is real art just because it's an activation or a promotion for a netflix show doesn't mean that it shouldn't be held to the standards of creating a transportative experience and i am looking forward to both the indie and the mainstream as uh immersive continues to develop and percolate i think i would kind of jump on on blake's point and say that i think uh to to get immersive out to a wider audience having those more commercial shows is actually uh really important they have the budget they have the space and they have the kind of properties that'll that'll draw people in. So I think that's, um, 
coming to them uh, and engaging with them honestly and in good faith, I think is, is a good point. And we can, I think, critique them in the same way to kind of understand where the uh, media might be going. I'm just generally hopeful for the future for, for large shows like that and the, some of the smaller ones that I think we've all uh, done a lot of and enjoy as well. Patrick? I would say I think what I'm looking forward to maybe here in the next 50 episodes worth of time, however that elapses, is really trying to focus on uh, work that is worth the doing. Because when I I was taught criticism in school from a a local critic here in Chicago, Christian, so this is his, his thoughts on it, but when I review shows, it comes down to two things when I'm asking myself when I'm doing the write-up. Is it well done? And was it worth the doing? And what I love so much about Immersive is that so often the first part, was it well done, might come or go, might not happen. You know, <laughs> things fall apart. Uh, maybe stuff isn't planned out. Maybe you didn't prepare for that type of audience member to come through your experience. So be it. But was it worth the doing? Is always firing. It's always there. Sometimes it's unfortunately buried under the execution. Sometimes it's something you got to really dig for. But when you find it and it's there, it is always so rich and engaging. And I enjoy that. And I think if we keep focusing on that, whether it's a small group of people starting out for the first time, or it's a large commercial opportunity that's touring the country, as long as it's worth the doing, we'll keep getting people to come back and discover and take part of immersive theater more and more. Leah, how about you? Any last thoughts? Yes. I, I agree with everything that all of you are saying, which is, which is nice. That's a nice way to be right now, but is that the COVID thing. talking? No, I'm kidding. Uh. <laughs> um, the thing that I'm feeling most right now is, is that we've had a strong decade of immersive experimentation and success just across the board, across all sorts of fields uh, in a few different mediums. And what I'm feeling right now is that we are in this cultural moment of, of being able to pause and breathe for a month or three. Uh, I don't know what comes next, but I have this sense of all of these learnings coming together and all of these different mediums cross-pollinating. And I think we're going to be seeing some really interesting new stuff, new approaches, uh, new shows, new ways of interacting with the audience. Um, I don't know what it looks like yet, but I'm, I'm very very excited to find out. We started this off an hour and 22 minutes ago, noting that uh, it's a weird time for immersive. But one of the things that's been interesting to me is I, I took stock at the top of, uh, of July and I looked at how much stuff is out there right now, how many shows, events, experiences that we've recommended to folks in, in this year that we're looking forward to, that we're curious about, that we think is, are strong. And I can see that there are more good experiences, stronger shows, 
not just in the main nucleuses of immersive, but throughout our immersive world than there have ever been before, which makes it an extra strange time because we know how difficult it is at this moment. Uh, we know how much trepidation there is from, from some audiences. And indeed, we know how we haven't actually beaten the coronavirus and that the pandemic isn't over, but we're in this phase that seems like it might never end. And yet, the work has never been stronger. The work has never been more abundant. And the work has never had more potential. And because of that, and that reason, which isn't just alone, but that's that's a pretty big thing. I hold that the state of immersive is strong. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, for the No Persinium crew, uh, this is Noah Nelson, and we're going to have a proper little end credits after this musical break. <laughs> And that was episode 350 of the show, 350 of these things, plus all the review crews. I uh, want to thank those who were able to be here for this week's episode, Blake and Leah and Patrick and Kevin. Of course, that's not the whole team. And if I if I rattle off the whole team right now, I'm going to forget somebody. So I'm not going to do that. Uh, but I want to I just want to say thanks to everyone for keeping no pro going. Um, you know what we do what we do is, uh, is, is, is singular, is unique, uh, in, in this world. It, it, it very much seems, um, by treating immersive as its own thing, by, uh, putting a spotlight on it, by pulling in the different disciplines that, that make up this, by pulling the XR and the themed entertainment and the immersive theater and the installation art and the escape gaming and, and all, all of it in one spot. Um, you, you really can't find that anywhere else. You can find bits and pieces of it. You can find two of these things, but not necessarily all of them under one roof. Uh, cause that's what we, that's what we do here. And we're so thankful for those of you who see the world this way. Um, uh, as you know, uh, this whole thing is funded by you by our listeners, by our readers. Uh, we're down right now to 355 active uh, backers on the Patreon, um, which is, I think last time I checked in, we were at 363. Uh, you know, if it starts going that way a little bit more, uh, we don't get to do this anymore. So uh, if uh, you do value the show, uh, please, patreon.com slash noprosinium, uh, or tell your friends uh, who you know take advantage of what we do, uh, who maybe aren't a backer, uh, we need your help. Uh, so spread the word or just, you know, when you find stuff that you like, uh, whether it's this week's review rundown or the podcast or whatever, share, uh, share it out, let people know, uh, it, it helps a lot. Uh, it helps a whole lot. Uh, whatever you can do, please. Uh, we have a new sustaining backer this month, which is why, uh, things aren't totally dire. Uh, that's, uh, Samantha Davison. Thank you so much, Samantha. And our sustaining backers on the regular are Ari Herstand, Chris Woolman, Eric Shamlin, Deborah Robinson, Elaine, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentes, 
David Bassick, Richard Ayers, Lonnie Hanson, Mark Balthazar, Sidney Guillory, and Jan Budman. Thank you all so much. Um, we have a lot of the next couple episodes in the can. Uh, I mentioned Frank Rose this episode. We've got an hour long interview with Frank next week. Uh, we've got some more uh, as well. Uh, actually, we have uh, Felix. So, Felix and Paul is coming along to tell us about what's the latest with space explorers. There's some really fun stuff. Uh, episode four of space explorers comes out next week uh, on the quest. Uh, and so we'll have, we'll have them on uh, in the, a little bit down the road. Uh, we've got uh, Charlie Miller of the uh, DCPA, uh, the Denver center for the performing arts. Charlie, uh, I think I may, I may have mentioned on the show. Maybe I didn't, maybe it happened before we took our little break. Uh, off center is now, uh, it's now an offshoot of the DCPA and, uh, Charlie is the, uh, I believe the executive director and curator of that program. Uh, so it's an elevation of the off center program into its own thing. And of course they've got David Burns theater of the mind coming up later this year and a little thing we call the dig, uh, that they're a part of, uh, which will be in November and that we hope to see you there. Tickets are still on sale for the dig and we're going to be announcing more of the programming next month as, uh, as we identify the local independent Denver artists who are being commissioned or being provided with funds to create work. Uh, that is on top of, of course, already uh, a talk from the folks behind Galactic Star Cruiser, access to Convergence Station, uh, at Meow Wolf, uh, access to Rabbit Hole Recreation Services, escape rooms, uh, and uh, a party at uh, the Sports Castle, uh, which Nonplus Ultra uh, is providing us with. And yeah, there's uh, going to be, oh, and then of course, uh, access to Denver Film Festival's XR Gallery. So there's a, there's a whole bunch going on in Denver, November 4th, 5th, and 6th, if my brain is still functioning properly. Uh, and we hope to see you there. Uh, oh, yeah, and uh, Theater of the Mind. Uh, for those who want to spring for the VIP tickets, uh, if you're coming out of town, you might as well do that. Uh, that shows part of the package, too. It's going to be really cool. Uh, it's 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 a, a big weekend of immersive stuff and hanging out with immersive people. What more can you want? It's all I ever want. So, uh <laughs> Not too much more. All right. Well, uh, we're at about almost an hour and a half, a long episode. It's an anniversary episode. So there we go. I've said it all I need to say. The associate producer of this podcast is Parker Sala. Music for No Persimium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Special thanks to Siobhan O'Loughlin for voicing our intro. And anything that's wrong with this is my fault. I'm Noah Nelson. And until next time... Thank you for wearing the mask. Mm-hmm.